Hello, I'm Meredith Harper. Welcome to Ukuleles the New Black, a podcast where I talk to ukulele players to find out why they play ukulele, what they love about it, and how it's changed their lives. guests were suggested by one of my patrons, Maya Zweck. Nicole and Aaron Keim are trained musicians who play ukulele as a duo, The Quiet American. Luthia Aaron also makes beautiful handcrafted ukuleles at Bean Sprout Musical Instruments at their home in Hood River, Oregon. After I recorded this interview, another listener, Paul Gissing, also suggested I talk to Aaron, so chances are you should all enjoy it. Yeah, it's the new black... Ukulele players, introduce yourselves. I'm Nicole Kime. And I'm Aaron Kime. And our duo is called The Quiet American, and nice. we live in Hood River, Oregon. Lovely. So good of you to be on the podcast. Um, yeah, you were suggested by one of my patrons. And um, so, um, yeah, so you're in Oregon, and as well as playing ukulele, you also make them, I believe. Yeah, that's correct. Um, the, our company is called Bean Sprout Musical Instruments. Wonderful. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but let's first talk about music. So, Nicole, we might start with you. When did music start for you? When did you first start playing music? I grew up in a musical family. Um, neither of my parents were formally trained musicians, but my dad um, played accordion and played piano by ear, and my mom just really appreciated music. So my sister and I grew up um, hearing music, playing um, doing choir, doing band, doing dance, um, and it was just a, an important part of our lives. And then um, in high school, I really became serious about singing and choir activities as well as band, um, but that's high school is when I decided that I wanted to uh, pursue an education uh, to be a music teacher. So I decided to get my undergraduate degree in music education, um, choral and general music. Um, and then I ended up teaching uh, uh, in elementary school music for nine years in Colorado after, after I graduated and we got married and moved from Wisconsin where we grew up to Colorado and, and taught music there and ended up getting my master's degree in music education as well. So, wow. Yeah. You're a very yeah. well-educated musician. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think so sometimes. <laughs> so, Aaron, how about you? And we might talk a little bit about how you met along the way, because it sounds like you appeared part way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, we both grew up uh, in pretty small towns in Wisconsin, and I was in the, the band and the chorus and all that growing up as well. And um, we ended up at the same university to study music education. I studied to be a band and orchestra teacher, and Nicole studied to be choral and general music teacher. Um, and so during that time, I was mainly playing the French horn, actually. Um, and uh, let's see, how did it work? I went to uh, New Mexico for the summer to build trail. 
and while I was there, all the people I worked with played um, traditional American folk music. They played bluegrass and folk music, you know, Bob Dylan and that sort of thing. And so I fell in love with string band music, and I came back to college, and there were some younger folks that wanted to put together a string band, and I had what I was taking the um, class for music teachers where we learned how to play the double bass and the cello. So I was walking down the hall with the double bass. Oh, and not so, an easy thing to do. <laughs> no, but you get used to it. But yeah, so these, these younger folks grabbed me and they said, oh, you play bass, you need to be in our band. But I had only just taken that class where you just learn enough to teach fifth graders. You know, ah. I wasn't really a bass player. Uh, I just was holding one. <laughs> All right? But I thought that sounded like fun. So I started to play music with them, playing the bass. And uh, so then we got married in 2003, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, I went to graduate school in Colorado to study music history. And what I was really interested in was traditional American music. So while I was in graduate school, because we went to a new place, I showed up with a bass. And so people knew me as a bass player and the French horn went in the closet pretty quick. (laughs) Uh, And I got a job at the local folk music shop while I did my graduate degree. So Nicole's teaching elementary school music. I'm working at the music store and doing grad school. And there was, at that time, there was a little ukulele on the wall at that store. So that's when it first came into our life, around 2004 or so. And you just kind of picked it up in between customers and things, right? Yeah, well, it was one of those things where uh, you don't show up at, you don't just like go to a friend's party and bring the double bass, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's cumbersome. <laughs> yeah, and I just kind of fell in love with this little thing where you could just play little songs and, you know, learn a few chords and... That was right when um, Jim Beloff was putting out these Jumpin' Jim songbooks that my music store carried. So there's like Jumpin' Jim campfire songs. Remember that? Like Jumpin' Jim's Hollywood, Hollywood songs. songs, Beatles songs, you know, that sort of thing. And so I would just sit at the music store and do that, um, just play these, play this little instrument. So I kind of got into it then. And um, so, yeah, we even though we had trained to be, you know, I had trained to be a music teacher and I had, had done that in the schools, going to graduate school and studying on, and focusing on music history, that was great. But then, like, you know, pretty quickly I started a band and started traveling. So for most of the time that Nicole was teaching elementary school music, I was teaching some lessons and doing some research, but I was mainly on the road playing music. And, uh, With you, a band called the Boulder Acoustic Society. Yeah, the band was called Boulder Acoustic Society. And Nicole, at that same time, started teaching ukulele to her fourth and fifth graders. Mm-hmm. Right. So we got a full set of classroom instruments. So we were kind of spreading it that way. And all during that time, when we still lived in Colorado, we would just we were just getting everybody into it. Right. Like all our friends started playing. We started. We'd buy them for people, fix them up. You know. I, just, I started playing just by osmosis because when you live with a, an ukulele player, it just happens. And we, I, I believe, even before I started teaching to my students ukulele, we kind of formed our duo. We were just, yeah, we just loosely. kind of messed around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we would perform at we performed at the Denver Ukulele Festival. We did some other things like that. Yeah, um, played in a couple other bands that didn't really work out, but. As you do. Yeah. yeah. And as a singer, you know, I always just felt very proud that I also play piano, but like, okay, my, my voice is my instrument, you know? And then Aaron was like, well, if we're going to play music together, you kind of have to do something with your hands too. <laughs> so, <laughs> so ukulele just felt like, you know, it made sense to pick that up because it was right there. It was accessible. I had a built-in teacher that could help me. And I knew that I would want to, in turn, teach, teach kids 
how to play as well. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, and it's like we've always been, I mean, now we're impeccably overtrained for what we do. <laughs> you know, it's like we have these two master's degrees we're trying to pay off, but like it's, but like, okay, we play music by ear and we read music, right? Like we can read tablature and we can read notes, we can analyze a score, or we can learn a song off a record, or we can sit at a campfire and harmonize with people. I mean, like, I think we've found this balance of like trained and untrained because the styles of music we play are generally oral tradition music, they're generally folk music, they're simple music. Um, so we've never been crazy virtuoso players, but our education has certainly served us well. Um, we, I think we thought we would teach kids. When we were younger people, we thought we would spend our careers teaching kids. Mm -hmm. and, um, but it's turned out we've been mainly teachers of adults for the last 15 years. Um, mm, especially writing all our method books for ukulele and traveling the world teaching workshops and all that uh kind of, we didn't plan it but it, it worked out you know we still feel like we're teachers even though we haven't been in the schools <laughs> in a long time yeah yeah well schools aren't the only place that teaching happens as as you well know um people exactly. are learning every day no matter what age you are yeah and i think it's i mean the ukulele is great because people of all ages feel good about picking it up and and starting with it. And some people have musical backgrounds and some people have never played an instrument before in their lives and have no idea what they're doing, but it just feels like a good starting point um, for people who want to, want to try something new. Yeah, for sure. So do you, um, so as far as teaching goes then, do you actually formally teach adults or do you just do it if you happen to be in a workshop or if you're in a group? I taught a beginning ukulele class in Hood River for adults for a couple years um, and that kind of fizzled out because of some life things and then COVID of course yeah. um, and we neither of us we've had private studios before in in different ways Aaron's taught ukulele and banjo and guitar and I used to teach piano and voice um, but as of right now because other things have taken precedence we don't formally have a studio right now um, but we mainly just teach adults when we do festivals and of yeah. course, the last couple of years, it's been online festivals. Yeah, yeah, that's well, right. And it's weird. We don't have an in-person studio and haven't for a while. But because of YouTube and our instructional books, we've, there's like a global studio of people who are following us and working on things. Um, but I just don't, we just don't do in-person or even just private one-on-one -on -one lessons in general. Um, for years, the, you know, the workshops live at festivals is what really got us our students. So we would teach somewhere for a four-day week weekend and then um, get people on our YouTube page and they'd buy all our books and they'd work through all the books. And, you know, then a year and a half later, you see them again at another thing and they're ready for the next workshop. And, you know, it was that sort of thing. Um, we've never, we haven't leaned on the full-time teaching studio since in a long time because, you know, building instruments and our, and our making things has taken up the day-to-day. -day. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, having a child. Well, yeah. Oh, yes. Throws yes. that into the mix. <laughs> <laughs> that does, it is, does change things a little, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but I think that COVID really has changed the perception of the online and YouTube lesson. It's suddenly become far more mainstream and a normal thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And I think it's interesting. Um, I, because we started on YouTube, I started making YouTube videos like right when YouTube happened. So like by accident, that channel is uh, more popular than it should be because it's old. Right. And if you 
start a new thing right now and like, I want to start being an online teacher. How should I do it? Oh, I've got to get big on YouTube like Aaron did. And then you started one right now. I don't, I don't know how you would get the traction, right? Like I'm no. just, I wouldn't know what to, I wouldn't know what to tell you. I mean, I just kind of got lucky with that. So, and we've always been people where we don't need to find 500,000 people to buy our things. We have this small group of, you know, what essentially are patrons that buy everything and support us and it's more than enough to make a living off of. So the way the world works now with the internet, like we don't need, we don't need to be super famous. We're famous enough. <laughs> Look, if you can have a comfortable life without being famous, I think that's way better. <laughs> yeah, it might I be. prefer it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I was going to ask you to play something for me then. Now I'm assuming you have some of your ukuleles that you have made or do you have other ones there? I'm curious to see what you pull out. Yeah, both of the ones we have today are ones that I built. Um, it's actually kind of interesting. They're both complete opposites from each other because at the moment I'm holding Nicole's and she's holding mine because oh. <laughs> we, we switched for this particular piece. Oh, but, okay. Um, yes, Nicole's is a big one. That's a baritone, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. So we've got a baritone and a tenor. So uh, normally we play the opposite, but today on this tune we're going to switch. Why um, not? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're going to do, we thought we'd um, play one instrumental piece for you, and then we have one vocal piece as well. Lovely. Um, this uh, first thing is two traditional American fiddle and banjo tunes. Um, so it's the kind of thing that people play when they get together to play old-time um, fiddle music together. And uh, the first one is called Old Greasy Coat, and the second one is called Cold Frosty Morn, and they go together sometimes. And there are standards of, um, you know, this, this sort of style and what people do. They're normal tunes people play all the time, so. Um.
Nice. Lovely. Thank you. Yeah, that's a fun one. Yeah, so that the that tenor there, it sounds so lovely and bright. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah, thanks. That one, it's actually kind of funny to have these particu- two particular instruments because they're like opposite ends of what we do. Like that one I built for Nicole from like every piece of timber on it, super special and like carefully thought out and there's special purfling and I made wooden knobs for the tuners and, you know, oh, I did nice. all the stuff. And yeah. then this one is made from the firewood pile. <laughs> <laughs> Like, literally from pieces of firewood. Uh, Kind of matches our personalities, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I'm just like, put anything in my hand, I don't care, is is my current mode of thought when it comes to my instruments, which is Whatever it is, I'll make a noise out of it. Yeah, and I think that's because, like, you know, my building isn't high enough demand that I, every time I make something really nice for myself, I just end up selling it to someone. (laughs) So, um, yeah, this one, since I made it out of the firewood pile, I kind of thought, like, well, I can just keep it forever and no one will want it. Because yeah. <laughs> it's the firewood instrument, but no, it um, sounds great though. Oh but, yeah, um, I mean, it sounds good. Yeah, yeah. Just the way that song that when you're playing that tenor, it almost sounded like sounds a bit like a banjo. It's got yeah. that really bright um, sound to it, which is unexpected. It was great. Well, and that's also just in the, the manner of how I chose to play it, because the what I was doing with my right hand was a banjo style of of picking. So that's called claw hammer style, and it's like an old Appalachian way that people thump on the banjo, and um, I sometimes do it on the ukulele, and for a lot of people, that's how they know about me, and it's how I got uh, the first things that ever got big on YouTube, and the first book we ever wrote, and the first people who ever asked me to come to their festivals, and all that was to was to teach that sort of thing. So that was fantastic, lovely. So tell me then a bit about the making of ukuleles. How did that start? Well, let's see. Um, first, it was I worked at that nice folk music store, so there was lots of instru- cool instruments around, and there were people there who were. You know, their job was to fix and repair old stuff. So I got interested in old broken instruments and started to try to put them together myself. And then over time, what I really wanted was a banjo ukulele, and I couldn't find an old one that I could afford and that I liked how it sounded. And so I just started tinkering with thinking, well, maybe I could build one. And I met these folks, Heidi and Rob Litke, that were also in Denver, and she was interested in building musical instruments, and they basically ran my... ran. Well, that's when we started Bean Sprout, and they basically ran the business, and Angel invested the whole thing, and I learned how to build under their, you know, their leadership. Oh, wow, that's uh, a great opportunity. Yeah, and this was right, so this is also right when the internet happened, so even, I could start Googling and finding cool forums and websites and learning that way and buying all the books and, you know, joining the Guild of American Luthiers and all that so I could try to get, my, get it together, so to speak. But mainly, I just made lots of expensive mistakes. That's kind of what you do when you're just starting out. Um, I didn't have a wood shop or know how to. I didn't have tools or anything at first. And you know, we started Bean Sprout in the basement of the little uh, condominium we lived in, and I built you know 120 or 130 instruments and sold them out of the basement without a dust collection system. <laughs> which, in hindsight, I'm, oh. I don't know what, what we were doing. <laughs> I had a, I had a shop vacuum, but that's about it. It became our agreement that. I just wasn't going into the basement anymore. So that's where the washer and dryer were. So Aaron ended up taking over laundry duties because I was like, it's too dusty down there. It's too messy. I don't want to deal with it. Well, and I liked, we always have liked making stuff with our hands. Like I think both of us could have been art teachers instead. You know, I think for both of us, making things has been an equal importance to music in our life. So, you know, starting in as wood in my medium in my 20s, um, I didn't have woodshop training or anything, but I'd kind of grown up 
you know, on around farms and the Boy Scouts and, you know, I mean, I like tools and knives and things, uh, but I had a lot to learn. So we did Bean Sprout for a while and then I actually bought out Heidi and Rob. And then while I was touring, you know, I was doing building while I was home from being on tour. And while traveling at the at festivals, I met Gordon and Shar, who ran Mayamoe ukuleles. And so they offered to move us out to Oregon to work for Mayamoe. So that's when Nicole stopped teaching at school. We moved out here and I stopped traveling so much and really focused on building. So I worked for Mayamoe from 2014, no, 2012 to 2018 uh, until they retired. And then we, that's when we relaunched Bean Sprout under our own name again, got back to it. So you've certainly gone from not being able to make things out of wood to being very good at making things out yeah. of wood. <laughs> yeah. That's Did you true. ever see your life going that way when you were younger? No. <laughs> no, we both None envisioned being yeah. music teachers. Um, yeah, not not being self-employed, you know, freelance musicians. Definitely not. Why the name Bean Sprout? Oh, um, so when I first got going. Um, I was in Los Angeles on tour, and we were staying at the house of this guy who's a really fantastic player and composer. His name is Dan Sawyer, and he wrote like a lot of music for cartoons and television and things in Los Angeles. And he played the ukulele, and he was way into the banjo, the banjo uke. So I was uh, for a while. I thought he was going to be my business partner as well in this in this endeavor. Until I met Heidi and Rob. So my last name Keim in German means little sprout or embryo, and Dan's nickname was Soybean, and so for some reason I just thought Bean Sprout would be like a cool name, and then Dan ended up not being involved, um, but Bean Sprout just sounded cool, and so we kept it. It's a great name, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and and then while I worked at Mayamoe, Gordon was gracious enough to have like one of our models called Bean Sprout to kind of keep the name going in people's... Banjo uke, right? Yeah, the banjo uke was called the Bean Sprout while I was still working at Mayamoe, and then with the idea that when they were done and I could go back and start my own business again, um, I could keep, go back to my old name. So that was very... Really nice. That was, yeah. yeah, it was cool. I think and, you like the earthy context too, you know? Uh, yeah, and I think it's weird. It's like um, there are many years of our lives where like, okay, so here's the teaching and here's music and here's making books and here's making stuff and here's art. And they were like all different stuff. And over our years of doing it, they've all become closer to each other instead of farther from each other, right? So it's like the instruments we make and the books we write and the music we sing and the art Nicole makes, they all make sense together, which is what I think people have responded to, which is why we could make a living. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they don't seem strange. And I looked on your website too, I saw you have a bit of a focus on sustainable timbers as well, which is, which is great. Is that a big thing for you? Yeah, uh, it just makes sense to me um, just to do my part. Um, so, you know, I don't buy any tropical hardwoods that are newly harvested. I mainly work with salvaged woods and reclaimed woods and woods from local suppliers and things that are um, known to me. And, uh, you know, over the years I've seen lots of parts of the musical instrument business you know, kind of get locked up in supply chains that are almost like blood diamonds or something. You know, it's like not a good idea. So I prefer to get the wood right from right down the street from the guy I'm friends with than to ship it all the way from wherever somewhere else. So, yeah, and it's made sense and people have really responded to it. I think 10 years ago, some of the ideas I had would have been laughed at or were laughed at, and now they seem normal to people. 
Yeah. I think, too, he also embraces the character of wood. So in other places where a luthier might look at a piece of wood and it has, a, you know, what might be seen as a defect, that would just be discarded. But Aaron finds character in those quality or in those flaws and, and makes them into something beautiful instead of just instead throwing of it away, away. Yeah. or burning mm-hmm. it. Yeah, and then as a ukulele owner, it means that um, yours is is unique, whereas otherwise they all just sort of get churned out. I mean, I have the most beautiful ukulele ever, but there's plenty that look exactly the same as it, and it'd be lovely to have something that really is unique like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're all unique and we're all imperfect. Correct. And so (laughs) so accepting that is really important. Um, Part of that feeds into this idea of, like, what mass production has taught us is that everything is the same and should be the same and everything should have the same feeling and the same look, etc. And that means if you make things that are exactly the same, it produces people who live the same. So when we make handmade objects, they're not perfect and that's okay. And owning them and touching them and using them um, inform- makes a unique person in a unique life. So we've been lucky that people agree with us <laughs> enough to give us money. <laughs> um, I think that goes for our music too. I mean, we'd never claim to be virtuosic players or, you know, performers. We just are what we are. Like what you see is what you get basically. And we make mistakes and I'm a type A personality. So I am a perfectionist, but this just the way that we've chosen to kind of live our lives has helped me take a step back and realize that like nothing has to be perfect. No one is perfect. And when those things happen whether it's when you're building or when you're performing or playing or teaching, it doesn't mean that you're less of a person or something because that happens. It just means you are a person. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And Nicole, you you do art. um, You make things as well. Yeah. I, so when we moved to Oregon and Aaron started with my Moe, I took um, time off from teaching and I was making wool um, felt hair clips I intended to make them for people my age, like in their 20s. And then it happened that my main demographic was like six-year-old girls. (laughs) I would sell them at craft shows and things. I would make headbands and things. So I kind of focused on that for a while. I had a sales rep in LA who got me into stores and things like that. And it was just like so hard on my body and my hands. And I was pulling all-nighters and just trying to keep up because there was such a demand. And I couldn't make enough money to... Um, justify the time that it took to to make these items. So anyways, I still, I have a website. um, I have an Etsy site. My my company is called Marmalade Creations and I still do sell things, but it's just kind of one off here and there. It's not on a a large scale. And then I uh, probably, I don't know how many years ago I got into embroidery, but that has something that's really brought joy to me. Um, I embroider different sayings and things on um, on fabric and house them in embroidery hoops. And some of them are kind of naughty sayings with swear words and political <laughs> things. And I love that. I love like the contrast of having this sweet art form with like yep. a big swear word printed across it or someone across <laughs> it. It just makes me happy. Um, <laughs> I believe so, that's something that I think it's Judy Dench when she's on set 
um, embroiders things with rewards. Oh, yeah, I think thanks. it's Judy Dench. I will have to check that up. But yeah, I just yeah, yeah it's, it's it's that dichotomy, isn't it? It's it supposed is. to be lovely and old fashioned and pretty, and you're swearing. I think it's awesome. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't found a way that that business I want to call Sound Fibers because my original idea was to embroider song lyrics and things which, that which related, you've done a lot of, which I have. Yeah, yeah our latest um, CD and album. I created a series of embroidery hoops to go along with it that people could buy that had the, the song title in it. Nice. But, um, but yeah, I'm like, I, I need to start a, a new Etsy page for that because I'm thinking hair clips for little girls and embroidery hoops with curse words on them no. probably shouldn't. No, they they do not shot. go together. Right. No. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the other, work the other main thing to brag about Nicole on is that when I started, um, writing down my music to teach with, my handwriting is so terrible that Nicole started redoing it for me so that students could do it, which led to Nicole doing all our books by hand. So our books are all, you know, with Nicole's artwork. And oh, wow, that's lovely. All the uh, tablature and lyrics and whatever are all handwritten. Oh, that, that's amazing. Nicole. You so, do have very good handwriting, Nicole. Thank you. <laughs> it's very and the, ta- the tablature for the music is super easy to read and people really love it. So, I mean, we have customers that buy our books just as pieces of folk art, not just for the music education that are in it, but um, because of how they look. So that's become, the ma- it's interesting, the main way our music business has made money the last two years, three years, four years, is just selling books online and um, people watch the, video, the lessons on YouTube and... Um, it works out great for us. Funny, actually. The origin of how this all started was um, in 2012, I believe, we got invited to play a festival in Australia. And we were there, and Aaron was giving his first workshop, and he handed his handouts out. And I, like, looked at them, and I was just appalled. <laughs> he He's like the other doctors in his family. Like, he doesn't have the best handwriting. So I just... I just took it upon myself to say, yeah, um, I'll be doing your handouts from now on. So, and then that kind of, you know, morphed into, oh, let's write, let's write a book and then you can illustrate the book. And, and so, yeah, it's just a really unique way that we can both use our talents, Aaron with writing the music and writing the content and then me taking that and, and turning it into something useful and beautiful. Well, do you have another song for me? Yeah. yeah um, we thought we would, um, sing one that was on one of our our CDs. This song's called Carved Into My Heart, and it's one that I wrote um, uh, during the years where Nicole was home teaching, and I was mainly traveling playing music. Um, And it's a little bit different now that we play music together, and if we travel, we're together. Um, And And we work together from home. And now when we don't travel at all, now that I think about it, but yeah. Yeah. But still. So this is called um, Carved Into My Heart, and it's on our CD, um, Songs from a Rocking Chair. You can um, count to four for me. Okay. One, two, three. turn red as the dust hangs in the twilight another border cross without a word 
And I've seen the raw turn gray As the fog hides it completely another place Another night away from you Once when we pulled over I stepped out to catch my breath The outline of a mountain blocked the stars The cold air cleaned me out And the silver moon cut deeply another place Another night away from you we sat on sharp cracked pavement, a bottle shared between us, and we traded stories, tried to pass the time. Tonight we're all together, not enough to matter, another place, another night then home. Without running into darkness We can't get any farther from our past We'll never know the doors that closed Or the moments we passed by Another place, another night What can I do? We sat on sharp cracked pavements Bottles shared between us And we traded stories Trying to pass the time together not enough to matter another place another night than home to you It's not time to stop yet I need the miles carved into my heart Cause then I'll have a space there That fits you whole and neatly Another place, another night away from you We sat on sharp cracked pavement Bottles shared between us And we traded stories Trying to pass the time Tonight we're all together Not enough to matter Another place Another night than home to you Another place Another night than home to you That was amazing. That was a beautiful... And yeah, your voices, they really blend together so nicely. Thank you. Yeah. Now, I did like how you were sort of picking that... um, riff on the baritone rather than on the um sorry my brain's gone <laughs> yeah. tenor <laughs> um, yeah it's, it's it's kind of a, a, a thing folks don't do very much you know the baritone has it's usually kind of a sideline to the ukulele world but for me it's become my main instrument mainly because as a duo we've got to do something different than each other so it's worked out nicely for me to mainly play the baritone. And then, so I'm picking all these things in the lower register while Nicole usually plays rhythm on the top, and it works out. Yeah, well, my um, baritone player is going to have to pull his socks up and stop just strumming in the background. Mm. <laughs> well, 
he should get our book, 10 Old Time Tunes for Baritone Ukulele. There you go. I will suggest that. <laughs> He's going to get cross with me for saying that. Anyway. <laughs> if he wants to just play chords, let him play chords. It's okay. Yeah. No, well, he, he refuses to sing, so I figure you know, oh, you've got to I do see. something. Okay. He can yeah. sing. He just chooses not to. Anyway, enough about him. <laughs> uh, so tell me then, we're up to the last question. I might start with you, Aaron. Um, how has ukulele changed your life? Well, I have to uh, give a time out because Nicole said to me before the podcast, when she does the last question, make sure I get to go first. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's because I have my answer. And then if you say the same thing, then I won't know what to say. Okay, well. Uh, Let's start so, with Nicole. Okay. <laughs> Um, so I would say it, it has touched our life in so many ways. And one being it's given us the opportunity to travel all around the world. We've been to Australia, New Zealand, England, Canada, many places in the United States. We've met so many people um, and learned about other cultures. We've made, I've made, well, we both have made lifelong friends um, through this pandemic, uh, I play ukulele with two other women and sing, and we continued to play throughout. Um, at times, it was outside, 10 feet apart from each other. We couldn't hear each other, but we just got together. It was something. So that was like a lifeline for us. Um, and aside from the meeting people and the traveling, the biggest thing is that it has just allowed us to share our art and our craft with the world and to be fully self-employed, making music and, and making our instruments. I, you know, neither of us, I don't think, like we said, imagined ourselves being in this place. So it's, it's touched every aspect of our life, I would say. Did it work out for you to go first? Was that good? That was, I, I guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> has she left you anything to say, Aaron? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he always can think of something to say. <laughs> yeah, that's easy for me. Uh, so everything she said is true and right, and I agree. Um, I think for me also, uh, I've always played lots of different instruments. I've played lots of styles of music. I traveled with a band for 10 years where I was cooking up a new idea all the time to like, this is going to be the thing that's the next thing that really makes it work for us. You know, um, I don't regret all that all those years traveling. It was awesome. It taught me everything. But the ukulele is where people actually cared about me. You know, like, I, yeah, I can play the banjo and I can do this and I can do that. And that band did all these great things. But the thing that people actually noticed me was this instrument. So that gave me the confidence to um, work harder and become something that people cared about. And if I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't have gotten into building them either. So on one hand, it is... Um, created my own sense of self-importance in a way, but at the same time, it's been eternally humbling because it's this simple thing that anyone can play in a few moments, but that I'll never master. And then I'll never be as good as everyone else. And I'll never be as good as James or whatever. <laughs> so, James Hill, of course. Uh, but it's, it's humbled me to meet all these people all around the world and learn their story and hear their, what makes them tick. And so it's made me humble, too. Wonderful. So I think that's, for me, that's the most important thing. Totally. Well, thanks to both of you for being on the show. It's been fantastic to hear your story. And, yeah, all the best. And I'm going to have to get some of your embroidery, Nicole. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> I need well, some rude embroidery. <laughs> now, all, all of this is on your website, I assume? So, yeah, the, the website for our music is quietamericanmusic.com. And uh, our musical instruments are thebeansprout.com. Did I get it right? I think so. Quiet American music, <laughs> bean sprout. Yeah. yeah. So that's well, generally where people can see what we're doing and support us. And of course, all the different social media places too. And yeah. My embroidery isn't on there, but I'll, I'll send you some pictures. And oh, that'd be awesome. Like that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. This it's been great. an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Ukulele is a New Black is produced by me, Meredith Harper. I wrote the theme tune, and I performed it with Janine Chandler, Jim Croft, Jasmine Fellows, Paul Marsh, Sandra Shaw, and Chris Williams. Seb Carrero does the graphic design. For more information about Aaron and Nicole, and to buy their books and CDs, go to quietamericanmusic.com and check out Aaron's ukuleles at thebeansprout.com. If you want more information about any of the things mentioned in today's episode, there are links in the show notes. You can also go to the Ukulele is the New Black YouTube channel for a playlist with songs relating to today's episode. this podcast please give it a rating or review on apple podcasts or chaser or wherever you listen to your podcasts and tell your friends episodes are released every second monday and you can subscribe pretty much anywhere podcasts are found i'll be back with another episode in two weeks because it's the new black